God bless you. You may be seated. As Jesus traveled through Palestine, each time that he would go to Jerusalem, he would stop by a place called Bethany. This is a place where Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived. They loved Jesus very, very, very much. And everything they could do to make him comfortable when he would come to their area, they would do so. Because of their kindness and because of their love, Jesus was attracted to them in a very special way. And they received miracles because of their closeness and their commitment to him. Lazarus had died and Jesus came and prayed and God brought Lazarus back to life again. He shared gems and spiritual wisdom with them. But one of the reasons Jesus enjoyed them so much was the fact that they loved him so very, very much. He was a welcome guest in their home. And while the choir was singing that song, Take Rest in Me, caused me to feel that that's probably the sentiment that Joseph and that Lazarus, I beg your pardon, and Mary and Martha had toward Jesus and that caused Jesus to come by and take rest in their home. Well. I think two things. Number one, I want you to take rest in your time here in the house of the Lord. I want you to feel loved and appreciated. But more than that, I want you to feel blessed and supported and encouraged and uplifted by the very presence of the Lord. And then the second thing is I want the Lord to enjoy our praise. Enjoy our worship. Enjoy our commitment so very much that he enjoys us and is blessed by his coming into this place to bless us and to sustain us and to keep us. How many of you want the Lord to enjoy you? Come on, clap your hands. Give the Lord praise. Give the Lord thanks. We praise him for his grace and for his goodness. And I'm so thankful for each and every one of you who is present in the house of the Lord. We're glad for our dear friends who've come to worship the Lord with us on today. And what is it, 40 or 50 special guests. Let's praise God for all of them. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for being with us in the house of the Lord. You may be seated. You may be seated. We're glad for Reverend Rivers and his lovely wife with us in the house of the Lord on today. And I want to thank God for Judge Strong all the way from Detroit. Would you stand, Judge? And let's praise God for him. He is a real, for real judge. God bless you. God bless you. Glad to have Elder Charles Blake, our assistant pastor. He's been away for a few days. He's at home. God bless you. And let's praise God for Lady May Blake, my darling wife. There's a word from the Lord. Everybody stand. I'm going to read from God's word. 
1 Samuel chapter 26, verse 21. 1 Samuel chapter 26, verse 21. And he said, Then Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will harm you no more. Because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Indeed, I have played the fool and erred exceedingly. Indeed, I have played the fool and erred exceedingly. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6, 2 Timothy 4 and 6, the Bible says, for I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. In 1 Samuel 26 and verse 21, Saul says, Indeed, I have played the fool and erred exceedingly. And then in 2 Timothy 4 and 6, verse 7, I beg your pardon, Paul says, I have fought the good fight. One said I played the fool. The other said I fought a good fight. I want to speak from the subject, the fool and the fighter. Would you repeat those words after me, please? The fool and the fighter. You may be seated. The two men who spoke the words of our text this morning have very much in common with one another. Both of them are Hebrews. Both of them were versed in the law of Moses. Both of them were taught the traditions of their fathers. It's a real coincidence that both of them had the same name, Saul. And they were members of the same Hebrew tribe, the tribe of Benjamin. Both were chosen by God for a very special mission. Each of them stood at the beginning of a new phase in God's dealings with his people. For one was the first king of the Jews, and the other was the first apostle to the Gentiles. It's also interesting to note that in our text verses, both of them are standing near the end of their lives, looking toward the past. Both of them are giving a resume of the nature and the style of the life which they had lived. Both of them were directing the words to young men whom they felt would feel would be their successors. And King Saul was speaking to David. And Saul of Tarsus, known to us as Paul, 
was speaking to his spiritual son, Timothy. But it is at this point that there are similarities in, for they are not only divided by the centuries between the time of their birth, they are divided also by their attitude and by their relationship to God and by their ultimate evaluation of their lives. One came to the end of his life with a jubilant shout. The other came to the end of his life with a humble whimper. One's heart was full of peace and happiness, and the other's life was full of fear. One was confident that he had done his best for God, while the other could only look back on the many times that he had let God down. One of them lifted and encouraged and offered salvation to all with whom he come in, came in contact, but the other destroyed and brought happiness to all who were around him. As they neared the end of their lives, one said, I have played the fool, and the other said, I have fought a good fight. What is my conviction? That these two men somehow represent the two great classes of humanity. Therefore, we're going to study both of these men with the purpose and aim of seeking the best pathway for our lives. First, let's look at Saul, who was to become the first king of the Jews. He was chosen by God for that task. He represented God's response to the plea of the people that they should have a king like the other nations that were around them. And Saul really looked the part. He stood head and shoulders above all who were around him. And he was a good-looking man and handled himself with consummate dignity and skill. God caused him to be consecrated king while he was on a search for his father's farm animals. He was lifted from the farm to the throne of Israel. His heart was filled with modesty. His heart was filled with fear. He was so filled with humility that he almost hid himself from those who were to make the public proclamation of his kingship. And rightly so, it was God who had done the work. It was God who lifted him up and it was appropriate that he should have been humble. If we can keep that sense of humility that recognizes God and God's authority over our lives, there's nothing that we cannot do through the power of Almighty God. So Saul became king. Samuel, God's prophet and judge, was by his side. And Saul and his army were powerful and victorious. They defeated the Ammonites. And when they defeated the Ammonites that were around them, Saul proclaimed, today the Lord has wrought salvation in Israel. But Saul was aware that their real enemies were the Philistines. They had been the ruling powers of Palestine, and the Philistines had ruled over and exacted tribute from the Israelites. The Philistines denied them even the privilege of making weapons of warfare and having storehouses of food. They would take their valuables, 
take their harvest, take their food and their seed away from them. But one day Solomon, uh, Jonathan, I beg your pardon, one day Jonathan, Jonathan, who was a son of Saul, caused an uproar because he with his band of soldiers went out and did war against the Philistines and destroyed one of their garrisons and one of their camps. And because of this, everybody knew that the Philistines were going to come against the Jews in a very powerful way. And everybody was upset with Jonathan because he was the one that stimulated and caused the uprising in the first place. And so Saul prepared to do battle because his enemies were coming against him. And when he gathered his men together and prepared to fight, they were told to wait for seven days. Samuel said, you wait for seven days. I'm going to come and I'm going to bless the army. I'm going to bless all of you and you'll go out victorious. But while they were waiting on Samuel to come after seven days to pray God's blessing upon them, they grew impatient. Saul decided, we're not going to wait on Samuel to come and bless us. I can do that. We're not going to wait on Samuel to make a sacrifice. I can do that. And Saul purposed in his heart to do what only God's priest prophet was authorized and qualified to do. And 15 minutes after Saul had made and given the blessing to them, Samuel showed up. He was displeased with Saul and pronounced God's judgment against him. Saul had been impatient. Saul's true character began to emerge. Saul was self-willed, and he refused to do as the man of God had directed that he should do. He sought to usurp the position of the man of God. And the moment he did that, Samuel stepped up on the scene. If Saul had waited just 15 minutes longer, he would not have erred and made that terrible mistake against the will of God. And today, to those of you who feel that you alone hold the keys to your success, you feel that you must not and will not wait on God, I want to assure you that you are sadly mistaken. Some are upset before God is going to bless them. Some are upset so that they did not wait until God performed the miracle. They don't want to wait on God. But my Bible says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. And mount upon wings like eagles run and not be weary walk and not faint. He may not come when you want him, but he'll be right on time. And so Saul failed his first test, but God gave him another chance. God gave him another opportunity. Somebody's living in the period of another chance today. Somebody in this room, God has given you many opportunities and many chances, and you look back on it and you understand that you failed and you've let God down. But your presence in God's house today is an indication that God is giving you another chance. Come on, clap your hands and praise God for 
about to come against Israel again. And this very wicked nation was told, Samuel told Saul that he must destroy them, he must wipe them out, he must kill their cattle, their flocks, and their herds because that nation was going to be a terrible challenge, an enemy against them in the future. And the only way they could prevent that nation coming continually against them was to destroy everybody in that particular nation that was coming to destroy them. But Saul, after hearing that pronouncement, decided that he had another strategy in mind. Instead of killing those animals and flocks and leaders of the nation that came against him, he saved the best of the cattle, the best of the sheep, the best of the cattle, the best of the goats, the best of the camels, and kept them and saved them. And when Samuel came, Samuel asked, have you done what I informed you to do? And Saul answered back, yes. But then about that time, one of the cattle began to moo and low, and the, and the livestock began to make noise. And Samuel said, if you killed all of them, what is all that I hear? And Saul said, well, uh, I, I, honestly, what I really did was I saved them because I wanted to make them a sacrifice unto the Lord and an offering to God. And Samuel, 1 Samuel, answered back in 1 Samuel 15 and 22, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? said, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. And because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected thee from being king. So Saul failed even his second chance. But even then, if Saul had repented, his life might have been different. But instead, he became worse rather than better. Trouble ought to make us better. Trouble ought to make us seek the Lord. Trouble ought to make us repent. We should not become worse as time goes by, but we should repent and seek God's forgiveness and God's mercy. Saul became worse rather than better. But when he learned that God had chosen David to be his successor, Jealousy rose up in his heart against David. David did everything he could to help Saul, but Saul hated David just the same. Saul took every opportunity he could find to destroy David, but still David would not harm him. It's a dangerous thing to fight against what God has blessed. It's a dangerous thing to try to destroy that which God intends to use. Saul persisted in his wickedness. He became possessed by an evil spirit, and he counseled with a witch rather than continuing to seek God. He sought to kill himself by falling on his own spear, but finally he had to beg an enemy to destroy his life. His whole life, 
was symbolized by the words that he spoke to David. I have played the fool, and I have erred exceedingly. But so much for the fool. Now, let's take a look at the fighter. Saul made a good beginning, but he made a bad ending. The apostle Paul was wrong at the start, but he was victorious in the end. Paul had been raised as a Pharisee. He had been grounded in the laws and customs and traditions of the Jews. After his undergraduate study in the University of Tarsus, he went to Jerusalem to study under the great Jewish scholar Gamaliel. Paul was exposed to the best of Jewish, Roman, and Greek knowledge. And nothing was more outrageous to Paul than the news that a man by the name of Jesus was claiming to be the son of God. Nothing was more foolish to him than the claim that this man had obtained forgiveness for all humanity by dying on a cross. Paul thought it was incredible that this man would rise from the dead and come back to receive his own and take them to heaven. He immediately began doing everything he could to stop the spread of this new doctrine. The apostle Paul, as he was later on named, spoke when Stephen came to, 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 to be preached and to be stoned and to be judged by the Jewish nation. They condemned him to death and began to throw stones at Stephen. And Paul was in the midst of the crowd holding their coats and encouraging them to kill and to destroy Stephen. And he traveled all around the, the nation beating Christians and putting them in prison, taking their goods and their possessions away. But one day, Paul was on his way to Damascus to persecute the saints. He was on his way to stop them from doing what they were doing. But before he reached the city of Damascus, an amazing thing took place. He was riding down the road and a bright light shone from heaven, so bright that it literally blinded Paul so that Paul could not see. And Paul fell from the horse that he was riding on. And while he was lying on the ground, a voice spoke out and said, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul answered back, who art thou, Lord? He didn't know who it was, but whoever it was, Paul said, he's going to have to be my Lord because nobody can deal like that. And Paul called him, Lord, who art thou? And Jesus said, I'm Jesus whom you persecute. I'm the one that you've been fighting. And right away, Paul answered back and said, what wilt thou have me to do? And that's the appropriate response to a child of God when Jesus shows up. What we should respond is, Lord, thy will be done. What would you have me to do? How do you want me to serve you? How can I do your will? How can I bring glory unto your name? And so let's, important, let's discover some important facts about Paul's life. When Paul found out when Je who Jesus was, Paul accepted Jesus as Savior and as Lord. Those who say they believe in Jesus 
but they don't ask, what would you have me to do? They don't ask, what can I do to bring glory to your name? That is unfortunate. But Paul accepted Christ and said, what do you want me to do? How can I bring glory unto your name? But not only did he seek to do the will of God, Paul sought to receive the baptism in the Holy Ghost. He wanted the power of God to be upon him. He wanted the anointing of God on his life. And the Bible says that he received the Spirit of God in Acts 9 and verse 17. And people of the Lord, when you accept Jesus Christ, you should not stop there. God has more for you. God has an experience called the baptism in the Holy Ghost. And the Bible says you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost is come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and Judea and unto the othermost part of the world. So many believers accept Christ and stop when they've got before them one of the most marvelous and wonderful gifts known to men. That is the baptism of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost will quicken your memory. The Holy Ghost will give you a powerful ministry. The Holy Ghost will expose you the wisdom and the knowledge of Almighty God. The Holy Ghost will give you power, hallelujah, that gives you power to witness and do the will of the Lord. Come on, clap your hands and give praise to the Lord. Paul received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, but then also Paul lived a sanctified life. It is the will of God that when we accept Jesus Christ, our life ought to change. Our life ought to be a life that gives glory to God and a righteous life, and it ought to be a clean life. The Bible says, Behold, all manner of conversation, present your bodies as living sacrifices unto the Lord. Let not sin reign in your bodies. I keep under my body, the apostle Paul said, and I bring it under subjection, lest when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. And so the word of the Lord says, be ye holy as I am holy. And if a person accepts Jesus Christ, then their life ought to be a holy life. It ought to be a clean life. Not only that, not only did Paul live a clean life and a holy life, Paul was willing to endure whatever he had to go through to be a follower of Jesus Christ. No matter what happened, Paul said, I'm going to serve him. No matter what they do to me, I'm going to fight for my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so in the text, we came to that place where Paul gave his eulogy. Paul said, I'm not going to let somebody else preach my funeral. I'm going to preach my funeral myself. And he said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. He said, I fought a good fight. And many times, people don't realize that we are in a fight. Will you tell your neighbor, we are in a fight? I used to have a friend by the name of Henry. And Henry and I would shadow box. And we were good friends. And we wrestle. And we would have a good time as young fellows. And we would play together. But one day, Henry got mad. I must have accidentally hit him up. I must have done something that made Henry mad, and Henry came in fighting. He was balling up his fists and hitting me and trying to hurt me and fighting against me. And 
I thought he was still playing, and so I was playing, and Henry was fighting, and I was getting the worst of it. But finally, I figured out he's not playing anymore. He's fighting. And if I'm going to stay in the same yard with Henry, I'm going to have to fight like he's fighting. And so the fight was on. But you've got to understand, child of God, the fight is on. The devil is not playing. He's a roaring lion going to and fro, seeking whom he may devour. And because the devil is fighting, we'd better fight also. But I want you to know it's a fight that we can win. Jesus said, I give you power over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means harm you. I give you power to tread on serpents and on scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Child of God, it is a fight. I said it's a fight to live holy. It's a fight to follow Jesus. It's a fight to love everybody. And Paul, at the end of his life, looked back over his life and said, I have fought a good fight. I want you to know, children, that the devil is coming against us with all of his rage and all of his power. But you can win. You are an overcomer. You can say in the word of God, I command you, Satan, in the name of the Lord, take up your weapons and flee. But God has given me authority to walk all over you. Paul said, I have fought a good fight. Then he said, I have finished my course. You've got to stay on course. Tell your neighbor, neighbor, you've got to stay on course. You can't just run this race any way you want to. In baseball, you've got to touch first base and second base and third base and fourth base. You cannot skip by first base and say, I'm not going over there. I'm going straight to second. I'm going straight to third. You cannot just say, I'm not going to run all the way around. I'm just going to step on home base and I'll be all right. But no, there's a course we've got to walk. There's a race we've got to win. And you've got to stay on course. Tell three people, stay on course. Paul said, I've not messed around. I've not held back. I touched first. I touched second. I touched third. Then I touched fourth. I stayed on course. Run with patience. The race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Would you clap your hands and give praise to God? Yes. Yes. But then he said something else. He said, I'm ready to be offered up, and the time of my departure is at hand. When the time came, Paul said, I'm ready. I've served him. I've loved him. I don't have to get ready. I am ready. Have you ever been made late by somebody? You wanted to get to an appointment, wanted to get to an engagement, but they slowed around. 
and you had to wait for them. When you wait for people, sometimes you miss out on the opportunity. When you wait for people, something that you needed to receive, you miss out on it. When you've got to wait for folk, you can be deprived of the blessing God had in store for you. But Paul said, I'm ready to be offered up. It's beautiful when you call somebody, say, are you ready? They said, yes, I'll be right there. I'm ready. God, help us to be ready. Help us to be prepared. Help us to say, I'm here. I'm ready to be offered up. And Paul said, and the time of my departure is at hand. Notice he did not say the time of my death is at hand. He said the time of my departure is at hand. And what you need to understand that, uh, that death is only a departure. Tell your neighbor death is only a departure. When somebody departs, they still exist wherever they went. It's not over for them. They just left one place and went to another place. Child of God, don't you worry about when you close your eyes and go to sleep in what they call death. It ain't over. You're just moving to a higher place, moving to another place. You're departing from this life and you're going into the life that is to come. Would you help me praise God and glorify God? This world, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. The angels beckon me through heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Raise your hand and say, I'm on my way to heaven to see the king. Come on, praise him. Come on, praise him. Yes. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race. Hallelujah. I finished the race that's laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord shall give me. I don't know about you, but I'm so glad I've got a crown. Come on, praise him. Tell your neighbor, neighbor, neighbor. I've got a crown. Stand up and praise him. Stand up and praise him. Are there any fighters in the house? Are there any fighters in the house? Tell your neighbor I'm a fighter for my Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. I promise him I'd serve him until the end. I'm on the battlefield, on the battlefield for my Lord. Come on and praise. Lord, Lord. The weapons of our warfare, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. One man said, I played the fool. Another man said, 
I have fought a good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. So important that we keep the faith in this day, in this time. So important that we hold on and never let go of our faith. Jesus, our Lord, died for our sins and he arose from the dead. He wants us to have everlasting life, to be with him throughout all eternity. And if you accept him, if you believe on him, your life can be more than you ever thought that life could be. I want to pray for somebody today. I want to pray for somebody who does not know the Lord. I want to pray for someone whose sins are not forgiven. I want to pray for someone might as you analyze and look at your life see that there have been shortcomings and errors and failures that you want God to forgive you and give you another opportunity to be the person that he would have you to be. You, may, you need to be able to end your life with a jubilant shout with a cry of victory. And I don't know about you, I've read the end of the story and we win. But those who stand with God fight on the Lord's side can be in that winning army and claim and shout and proclaim God's victory in your life. Every eye is closed. One said, I played the fool. The other said, I have fought a good fight. I pray that that will be your testimony. I pray that God will help you to be the person that he's calling for in these last and evil days. Do you know him? Are you saved? Are your sins forgiven? If not, I want to pray for you. If you would say, preacher, I want to be saved. I want to know Jesus as my Lord. I want to be forgiven. Lift your hand. Your eyes are closed. Your head is bowed. If you would say, preacher, pray for me. I want to be saved. Lift your hand up and hold it high. Pray for me, preacher. I want to be a fighter for the Lord. I want to hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. I see that hand. There are others who should lift their hands. This is your chance, your time. There's no sin that God cannot forgive. No transgression that he cannot forgive. Nothing that he cannot atone for. Lift that hand is your way of saying, pray for me, preacher. I want prayer. I want to serve God. I want to do the will of God. Those hands are lifted and your head is bowed. Lord, I pray for these, your dear children. Come into their lives. Let them never be the same again. Forgive every sin, every wrong they've ever done. Draw them to thyself and use them for your victory. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Touch their lives. Transform their hearts. Draw them to thyself. Forgive their sins. Repeat this prayer after me, please. Dear Lord, dear Lord, I'm sorry for all of my sins. 
Please forgive me for the wrong I've done and the wrong I have been. I want to be saved. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe he died for me. I believe he arose from the dead. I accept Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. And I thank you, Lord. I am saved. Come on, clap your hands and praise God for salvation. Lift your hands again if you lifted your hand a moment ago. 